Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, our hosts will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their business to success in the ever-competitive business climate. Welcome to another edition of the Monday Morning Coffee episode of Inside the Firm. I'm Alex Gore. I'm here with Jenna Knudsen, who is the managing principal at Co-Architects, California-based architecture firm that was described to me as a medium-sized firm. When I look at what they do and how many people they do, to me, it's a large firm. They do awesome, amazing work. So I'm happy to have Jenna inside the firm with us. How's it going? Good. Good morning, Alex. Glad to be here. Yeah. Do you describe yourself as a medium-sized firm? How, I think there are 150 or 175 people now. Yeah, it's hard to know these days how the um, how the definitions are of architecture firms because there's these mega firms, right, that are thousands and thousands. But yeah, yeah, I think we still we still describe ourselves as a as a mid-sized firm. Okay, I think. I mean, whatever you guys want to do is is totally fine. Um, I think above, I think 50, like that's what I think is a mid-sized firm. I could be totally wrong. And I kind of, those outliers, sometimes those outliers, um, um, uh, who am I thinking about? Who's the big, Gensler is probably the biggest. I don't know how many people are in Gensler. Um, and then some of them are like engineering firms and civil firms that just like count everyone. Right. Uh, but before we go into, uh, the firm that you're at and the architecture, Let's just go in the background a little bit. Uh, when did you decide to become an architect? So I, I think it was about 10 years old. Um, I, I grew up in the Central Valley, uh, a large family. So I'm one of five siblings. And my grandfather owned a grocery store. He was my first employer. But we spent a lot of time at the grocery store. And um, maybe for those who are uh, who are around in the early 80s, grocery stores used to sell these magazines that had like spec floor plans. And I used to love to look at those magazines. And, um, and I would try to find I tried to find a house that had enough bedrooms for everyone in my family to have their own room. (laughs) And they didn't really exist. So I started modifying the floor plans. um, And then people would say, oh, you should be an architect because they would see me working on those. And and my dad noticed a, an interest and he bought me an architectural scale. And it just kind of from there, it's always been architecture. That's awesome. I have a similar, I was drawing from when I was a kid and, and my, I think it was my grandma or my parents said like, oh, you should be an architect. And that's all I thought then, you know, like it, it's never changed in my life since someone told me that when I was very young. So that's awesome. Uh, where did you go to school? And then what was your first experience uh, in a firm like? And it, was it the same firm you're at now? It was, yeah. So, um, but I boomeranged. So I, uh, I went to University of Southern California and uh, I got my Bachelor of Architecture. And then I came to work at, at Co-Architects, which was Anshin and Allen, Los Angeles at the time. And so that was my first experience uh, working in architecture during school. I waited tables, um, so I did not have any internships. And, um, and I worked for three years um, at, uh, at the firm. And then I decided that 
I wanted to go get a master's that had always been a personal goal of mine and um, felt like, you know, if I was going to do it, I needed to do it sooner rather than later. And so I um, packed up and I moved to New York City and I got um, a degree in architecture and urban design, a master's at Columbia. And I stayed in New York for a couple more years and worked. And then when I decided to move back to Los Angeles in 2004, um, I ended up coming back to co-architects and um, was really drawn to a very specific project, um, Palomar Medical Center. We were just getting started on working on that. And and I had worked on a hospital the first time I had been there. And so this, this was really a kind of special hospital. It was the very beginning of um, evidence-based design and healthcare and, you know, how design could improve health outcomes. And all of that just was a really special opportunity. So I came back and have been here ever since. Let's not forget to talk about healthcare. Um, because I do want, I have some questions about that. But living in New York, New York is so unique that it's always New York, but depending on when you're there, is there's a different vibe and there's different buildings getting built for and for regular people this might not matter but for an architect like if buildings are just completed when you go there um it's different by decade because there's so many star buildings you know in there so when were you in new york how was your experience in columbia and in the city itself So the degree I did at Columbia was um, a one-year degree because I had a five-year undergraduate degree. So it was 12 months, um, very intense. Uh, New York's a great place to to be and study. And and about two months after I arrived in New York uh, was September 11th. So I would say September 11th uh, very much colored, you know, my experience in New York um, over those three years from, you know, just the the kind of event and then the aftermath, but then also the, you know, the conversations around rebuilding and um, the competitions, you know, for ground zero. Um, so that, that was all super interesting. Um, I actually didn't work on any projects in New York City. So um, uh, the projects that I worked on architecturally were were not in New York. But that, you know, that experience certainly uh, was, you know, sort of um, informed everything that was happening in New York at the time. It's, it's so crazy because I didn't know that. And I didn't, I was only thinking about architecture. So when I was in New York, I worked for Leapskin and I was there during the crash, the 2008 crash. So that's what kind of colored my perspective. But 9-11 is one of the hugest turning points in in United States history and then New York history. And I talk to my students sometimes um, about uh, that tower, you know, about Liebskin's design and all that. And I have to remind people because I remember vividly there was thousands of design proposals thousands of ideas of what should be there. Like every architecture firm, every student that had time at that time was making some sort of idea for that. Um, So it was very interesting. And have you been back? Have you been to the museum and gone to the basement there? I have not. I have been back to New York. I have not been back to Ground Zero, um, which I would would like to do. certainly. But, but I, I mean, the building in New York, you know, since then is, it's, 
the skyline has completely changed. It's exponential. So, I mean, what was interesting at that time, it was, you know, like, do you even rebuild? Is that appropriate? And, you know, there was so much conversation around, you know, kind of what we should be building and, and fast forward to today. um, Yeah. Skyline is completely different. Yeah. So I went, when I was there, it wasn't even complete um, because it took them so long. And then I, I came back for, I don't know what reason. Oh, the um, Architizer event. Um, but then we finally went and all the pictures of it are always of, you know, the fountain and, and, and you know, that's cool. But like going into that museum is so well done. And to see how big those wide flanges are, you know, and then to see how, you know, they, you know, the mangled ones and it, it's just, they did an incredible job. And I don't think, I don't think the underground gets enough play. You know, it's all about the upper ground. And then uh, I don't even know if Calatrava's station is complete yet, but you know, the one I'm talking about that looks like yep. kind of wings. Yep. Um, yeah. That one's been taking a while too. <laughs> you know, it's, it's so funny. Uh, Calatrava did something for the Denver airport here and they fired him because it was over budget. And I was like, how do you not know when you hire him, it's going to be over budget? Like, how is this a surprise to you? Um, anyways, uh, coming back, well, so you come back, you get hired as, are you still an intern at this time or did you get to, um, are you an architect? Yeah, I was not licensed yet. I got licensed soon after that, but, um, yeah, I think I was hired as a, you know, designer or a project coordinator. Um, you know, I had at that time I had about five, six years of experience, professional experience. Yep. So healthcare, I think it's, um, I think that in schools are one of the places where architecture can show its value um, about natural light and things like that. You talked about a a health project that you're on. Can you kind of explain one of the projects, what architecture did to to help um, and what you guys kind of explored? Yeah. I mean, I I think you're completely right, Alex, that if there is a building type that can benefit from, from good design, um, you know, there probably isn't, isn't, uh, isn't a more important one than healthcare, right? And what, um, from, you know, from a patient experience to, to, to staff, you know, who are working in, in highly stressful situations, you know, 24 seven, um, to family members, right, who are, who are coming to visit and, you know, typically hospitals are not places where people want to be besides, no. you know, having a baby. Um, it's not, it's not a place where you want to spend time. So <clears throat> even that, you know, I had a couple of kids and uh, I don't know, I rather not. <laughs> it's an ordeal. <laughs> it is, it is, but, but then a, a great design challenge and an opportunity. Right. And so um, the project that I referenced, um, which, which was completed um, about 10 years ago was Palomar Medical Center. And, um, and, and in that project, um, the intent was really to try to bring the kind of aspects of, of garden and healing um, into, into the hospital um, and, you know, sort of how do you balance hospital as like really efficient machine um, that has a job to do um, with, with just the aspect of, you know, kind of the experience and, and healing and, and health. Um, and so we 
basically used every possible opportunity to integrate integrate nature into that. There's um, there's a green roof. There's um, terraces on every single floor um, for patients and staff. Uh, you know, views um, from kind of all of the rooms. We um, which was pretty unique. We brought courtyards into the. Um, into the diagnostic and treatment, which is where uh, that's like the most machine-like, you know, sort of place of the hospital, which is um, where the operating rooms are and the imaging equipment. Um, and again, really just trying to create that connection to to the outdoors um, because spending all that time indoors, it can be, you know, disorienting. And um, and so, you know, there was a lot of evidence that um, that, that access to nature, light views, um, it reduces the time that one is in the hospital. Yeah, uh, we, it was my wife's birthday. So I, we got a cabin in the mountains and we live right next to the mountains. So we go there all the time, but just being there for the whole weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we couldn't believe how much of a difference that, that fresh air felt. Um, not that you have control in this, but I know that uh, co-architects is, you're probably still working in the healthcare facility. Mm-hmm. We were in the ICU for my first baby for like, it was just a week, not too big of a deal compared to what, you know, can happen. The cafeteria food was like high school. I was like, what in the world are you doing? (laughs) Like, how do I not have a salad bar? You know, like it costs enough money to be here, like a salad bar, some fish that isn't, you know, so if you're ever working on a project, I think that's the next area is like, I know that I can't pick your vendor, but maybe don't use the high school cafeteria vendor. Well, I, I do know a lot of, um, you know, a lot of healthcare providers are, you know, looking at the holistic experience, right? And that would certainly be one because that is one of the opportunities to, I mean, one, you need to nourish, right? You need to, you need to have the food, but also it just becomes an opportunity to, to kind of get away. So creating a nice design experience uh, in the cafe but also good, good food options, good coffee, all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I know that you became an advocate for BIM. What does that mean in a large architecture firm? <laughs> because for some, I now get to classify you <laughs> as a large architecture <laughs> firm. Uh, what programs are you using? How has that influenced design? Yeah, so a lot of that does, does sort of go back to the Palomar project um, that um, just given the complexity of healthcare, and that was really when when BIM sort of first first came on the scene, and um, we were we were piloting a smaller project, and we we just decided, you know, I think this is maybe, maybe you call us a large architecture firm, but I think this is where, you know, kind of being, being one firm um, where all of the leadership, you know, is, is co-located. We could basically very quickly make a decision. We're going to take this project into, into BIM. And so we went from kind of piloting, you know, about a hundred thousand square foot project to, um, leaping into a 750,000 square foot hospital and um, speaking with our with our MEP instructional engineers to do the same because we thought whatever whatever kind of pain or growing pains or learning curve there's going to be on the BIM side is going to be worth it uh, given the coordination um, aspects and so uh, that 
proved to be a huge success and also just, you know, kind of propelled us as a firm because once we took the, you know, the kind of large project, there was sort of no going back. And since then, you know, have been a hundred percent BIM. And, uh, and so I think that's, created an opportunity that created a real opportunity to um, to reinforce our values of collaboration collaboration with our engineers collaboration with um, with trades and builders and um, there's nothing like a visual right to be able to do that so um, you know the opportunity to pull up a model you know have everybody understand the problem um, you know let the you know let everybody sort of weigh in on what the solutions might be um, has been has been incredible. And, you know, that, so, you know, Revit as the kind of workhorse for that, but, you know, over the years, um, you know, you know, we've, we've obviously, you know, used Navisworks, um, you know, using Enscape now as the Revit plugin for all the kind of renderings, um, which is a great, um, somehow what you see in a, in a, um, in a kind of black and white perspective and then what you see in a rendered perspective, you know, even though they're exactly the same thing, you start to see even more, um, you know, uh, an outlet that you didn't quite notice in, you know, in one shows up in the other. Um, we're doing a lot of, uh, you know, uh, AR and VR. That's been a few years um, going for us. We have a couple of experts in the office who um, who really focus on creating those experiences, um, either, you know, kind of creating custom applications um, for that or, you know, using using software, computational design, you know, of course, has um, really permeated the design, um, you know, the design field. So, you know, I think we're pretty technology or software agnostic. Um, you know, we want to use what is going to be the best solution and sometimes that's a solution that we can reuse over and over again um, across projects and sometimes it's a solution that you know might might solve a specific problem for a specific project gotcha um right now you are the managing principal at the firm what was your journey like getting to there from when you came back to the stepping stones um to the pass or decisions you took to be where you're at now Sure. Um, so as I mentioned, you know, I came back, I, um, I started to work on Palomar. I was pretty integral in the, in the adoption of BIM and technology and um, that, you know, that sort of uh, started to lean into integrated project delivery. Um, and so that really became uh, an area that, that I was really interested in. And, um, you know, that was, was kind of important to co-architects in terms of, you know, our projects and collaboration. Um, I, uh, you know, I, I, you know, probably partly because I had been at the firm in the late nineties when we were, you know, 40 people. And when I came back, uh, we were close to 90. Um, you know, I, I, I always, I think, you know, had a really good grasp of, you know, where the firm had come from, where we were going. You know, I think it's, it's always been a firm that um, it can, is very grassroots, you know, listens to younger voices, um, you know, kind of what are the, you know, what, what are people concerned about? What do we need to be thinking about? You know, somebody has a good idea for 
an improvement or a committee or, you know, I'm usually those things, um, they, they happen, you know, they kind of, uh, find roots and, um, and so I, I think, you know, I, I was always, uh, felt I was given a voice and, you know, had a voice for, you know, whether it was technology, um, and then, you know, I think some of that evolved into equity, um, you know, and just kind of thinking about, um, you know, how can we continue to support um, women and minorities in the, you know, in the profession, in the firm? Um, you know, we created a group in the office in, two, in 2010 um, called WOCO, which is Women of Co. And that became a real, you know, kind of platform to consider, you know, what are the, um, you know, what are the unique challenges facing women? Um, also, you know, how does that sort of permeate into families um, and what can we do to better support, you know, our employees, um, grow the talent pool, right? Uh, not, not exclude, you know, any individuals. Um, and, and so I think, you know, that, that became a really good platform for me. Um, and, and then I became a principal um, about five years ago. And then, Maybe over the last year or so, um, I and, and in that role as principal, I was um, always sort of working very closely with um, with the managing principal, uh, the previous managing principal Scott Kelsey. Um, I took over hiring and staffing, you know, which had a very broad um, reach in terms of you know how are we growing, you know, what are the strategic hires we need to make, um, and so you know a lot of tentacles into kind of areas of the business and practice. Um, that just kind of eventually led to um, becoming the managing principal um, when, you know, we determined it was a good time to, to, make, to make that transition. And those, that kind of um, evolution or um, kind of transition within co-architects, it's, it's kind of part of our ethos, who we are. I am the fourth managing principal in, um, you know, in, in 35 years of practice. So, you know, it's kind of a, an important piece of um, continuing to evolve and grow. Yeah. And I think that's actually one of the hardest things about growth is that a lot of architects, when you start out, you like to design and knowing that you have to put on that manager hat can be hard because it might not be what you want to do. And it kind of limits because there's so much work on that management side, especially if, if you're growing a firm, like it's just a, a whole thing. So I actually think this is a great opportunity because I don't, um, what, what is, what does a managing principal do? Question one, question two, what are some lessons that you learned through your journey that could maybe help someone else? Because I don't think we put on that hat enough. If this is making sense, I think we put on, we have a project, let's do a good project. Let's maybe market the project. Okay, good. Let's do another good project. Oh, let's hire a person. Oh, you know, like, and, and that's, that's how it goes. And that's basically it. But there's a bigger, broader vision, especially if, if you can have someone that's focused on that. So um, if you were, well, you are talking to hundreds, thousands of people. <laughs> what does a managing principal do? And what are some key things that you think people should know about that or that you've learned from that? Yeah, well, I mean, it, you know, it's probably, there's probably things that are the same in, in, you know, different firms and, and probably things that are unique. Um, you know, what 
I think is important to, to you know, probably understand about co-architects is that we are, um, you know, we, we have 12 partners. Um, so it is um, a partnership, you know, uh, and uh, we very much run the business as a partnership. Um, you know, it's very collaborative. Um, I am not, you know, sort of the uh, the end-all be-all um, by, by any means. Um, but, you know, I think the role of the managing principal is really, um, you know, to be, to be looking forward, to be setting strategy, um, to be connecting the dots. You know, that's probably, if, if I think about my, my journey and maybe where, um, I think I had a talent. It's, you know, it's kind of connecting, connecting the dots, right? And whether that was, you know, it first in a project and then, you know, kind of beyond that. But, you know, always sort of looking at, you know, how does how does this affect that? Um, what are we missing? You know, where are we going? What, you know, what what did we learn from that? Um, and, you know, just kind of continually questioning, um, connecting dots and, and trying to put, you know, trying to put all of those things together. So, I mean, there's a business aspect, there's a marketing aspect, um, you know, there's obviously a strategy of people, you know, there's a, there's a people aspect, of course. Um, but yeah, I think, I think connecting the dots is, a, for me, is a big part of the role. Yeah, Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. And, and I think that when, when do you think size wise that becomes appropriate to have a person, you know, as their job, because at, going broadly speaking as a species, I'm reading a book, Hunter's Guide to the 21st Century, and they talk about, you know, we're not specialized in anything. We're generalist, right? Um, <clears throat> meaning we can live in North Dakota. You can live in Mexico. You can catch fish in, in Canada, you know, like be a, you know, the Eskimo life to, um, you know, a farmer. But the power of us as a species is that, you, let's say you could be a really good fish, fisherman. I could be great at uh, growing crops is that we can connect together, right? It's our ability to connect so that we can kind of specialize, but our ability to connect is key. And as a firm grows, when do you think that that becomes a, a, a role rather than just letting it be organic? Because I don't think it can be organic at a certain number. I mean, I have always, you know, there, we had a managing principal, you know, at, at 30, you know, 35. Mm -hmm. um, so, I, I mean, I would imagine that you know, whether you're a firm of one or you're, you know, a, a, a much larger firm, you need someone who's setting, right, who, who's setting strategy, who's making those connections. Um, maybe that's, you know, only part of what they do, right? And, and maybe they're also very, you know, embedded in projects and, um, you know, and doing other things. But, um, you know, I, I, would, I would think that, that it's important to have a person you know, whose job it is to have, you know, have their eye on, you know, on, on the business and, and the future and, and strategy and not just, you know, do a project, get the next one, do a project, get the next one. Right. Yeah. Um, even for a small firm, even for a small firm. And does um, part of what you do, do you, let's say you had a couple buildings um, or just one review, how that went 
what lessons did you learn? How does that apply to different projects? Does that fit your vision? Um, maybe something about the more nitty gritty, you know, day to day or um, how you think about growth. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, couple of things. And, and I actually wanted to go back to something that you said about, <clears throat> about design. Um, I think that, you know, at, at Co, um, and I certainly take this view that we need to have a broad definition of design and not not a narrow definition of design. Um, you know, there will always be a person who is, you know, kind of more the um, the visionary of a design, right? Um, but that is never a building is never uh, the sole you know, result of, of one vision, right? So we have, um, you know, I think always tried to emphasize that there's design in everything we do um, and that everybody, you know, ha is empowered to influence the design. And, you know, whether that's, you know, where you locate, you know, a fire extinguisher cabinet, because that can certainly, you know, impact design, um, you know, or you're, you know, you're setting forth the kind of party or, you know, materials of a building. I think there's, um, you know, there's a lot of range and definition of design, but everybody has to decide for themselves, like what is going to, you know, what is going to fulfill them as a designer, right? If that uh, Absolutely. And I actually want to transition to, to this project. I don't know. Can you see my screen? Uh, I can. Yes. So this is a Phoenix biomedical campus health science education building. And when you were talking about that, I just thought about how this building in particular, you know, someone could have sketched this kind of form or this idea and, and been the leader. So, and, and at F9, we build um, too. But I just see all these different pieces and I go, oh, there are so many design decisions at every single level that you go down and whoever is a principal architect might've been involved in, in all of those, but um, man, it, it, this just spoke to what you were saying. And, and I was like, I, I need to bring up this project because I think it's, it's beautiful on a macro level and on, on a micro level. Um, so yeah, tell us about this building. Yeah, th this is a really interesting one because um, I think it, it highlights a couple of things that we've been talking about. But uh, yeah, this is the, the Health Sciences Education Building. Uh, it's in it's in Phoenix on the Phoenix Biomedical Campus, which was a new campus. This building houses um, programs in health sciences for both the University of Arizona and Northern Arizona University. Um, so two universities, multiple departments, um, all coming together in one building. Um, I think you can kind of see there's two wings and this canyon uh, in, in between. And then uh, in the distance there, you can see what we called the mixing bar. So that was the piece that, um, that had some of the more public programs uh, that connected um, the two wings, um, which included, you know, really the kind of classrooms and simulation um, lecture halls. Um, when you, uh, and then this is a, a connecting stair through the building. When you um, think about, uh, when you look at the exterior, um, which was really, a, you know, a kind of 
this is a you know a very Arizona building, right? Um, uh, copper is a is a material that um, that comes from Arizona. Um, you know the kind of color uh, copper patinas to like a brown um, in the desert, which is really beautiful. So it doesn't and, go green. Um, no, no, the green is a moisture. Mm, okay. Yeah, so it turns turns browner. So even um, is it. Sorry, just to get into the weeds, but um, because obviously it rains there, it's not like once it hits water, it has to water has to hit it a bunch of time. Correct. Like if you're in like Minnesota or something like, you know, rainy. Yeah. Or ocean. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so hmm. the 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 designer, um, you know, had an idea of the canyons and, um, you know, both from a kind of party of the building, but also the way that, you know, the sort of wind and water water, you know, sort of has weathered. Um, the canyons in Arizona, and that's that's where the idea of the skin came from. Um, what was interesting is this was a, 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 a BIM-enabled, you know, collaborative delivery on the skin, and we worked really closely um, uh, because this had this had a pretty um, pretty tight budget. We worked really closely with the exterior um, with the metal fabricator on how to you know. Uh, minimize the number of unique panels. Uh, there's 13, and um, and then you know, uh, you know how to keep the panel size so that it was um, that it was uh, domestically available copper coils. You know how many bends could we have um, to keep the rigidity of the panel. So it's, it's it was a very technical process. Um, to get to, you know, a design solution that was really economical. And if we had not been able to have that back and forth with, um, with the cladding contractor, I'm not sure that we would have been able to end up with this, um, with this solution because, you know, we had a budget uh, that we needed to work to. And so we really needed to work with the person who was going to build it uh, to, to get to that. Yeah, I think that's great too. I think more of that should probably happen. Um, but it's it's hard because sometimes you want competitive bids. Sometimes you might change, yep. you know, the style of it. Um, do you happen to remember who the cladding contractor is? Happy to give him a shout out. If he, it was Kovac. Okay. Are they just they Arizona? To, they were local to to um, to Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great building, all sides. Um, if you can't see this because you're listening on YouTube, um, you'll be able to see this, but um, it, it's really, truly a, a great project. Um, one of the other ones, I don't know if you uh, had any work with this one. I just love natural history museums. Um, there's one you did in Los Angeles County, mm -hmm. which was cool. Um, I don't think, here, let me see. I'll stop sharing. And oops, let's, sorry, technical issues. <laughs> now, here we go. So I'm sure you can see that building now. Um, which yeah, the, the, the Natural History Museum was, um, was probably a decade long um, collaboration wow. with with LA County. We started out doing the modernization of their the 1913 and the 1928 buildings, um, and so uh, and then that evolved into you know some of the landscape 
the bridges that, you know, that connect uh, into the building and then creating this new uh, entry, which is the, the whale pavilion. So um, a really fun transformation, you know, uh, that, yeah, so that's the 1912. That started, what, what a building. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, any other uh, buildings you want to talk about? How about the Cal Poly? Uh, how do you say it, Paul? Yeah, Cal Poly Pomona Student Services Building. So this is in 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 Pomona, which is this is a state um, a state college um, east of Los Angeles, and uh, this building was intended to uh, relocate programs um, from a from a tower building, and so this was really kind of the opposite of tower. Mm. Uh, it was envisioned as what we called a, a called a ground scraper and um, this contained you know the sort of student services uh, like you know uh, admissions uh, registrar financial aid um, but also a lot of the um, the kind of administrative offices for the university and so we we basically split those into two buildings um, so there are two buildings there um, a very thin bar and um, a kind of donut and then both of those are um, encapsulated in in this roof um, with so this is the breezeway between between the two buildings it's quite hot uh, in Pomona um, pretty arid climate um, so really trying to you know kind of induce um, the wind you know creating um, a lot of opportunities for daylight uh, and uh, it turned out to be a, a really really beautiful building that's the courtyard between uh, in the donut shaped building did you get any pushback on the design you know i love it i think it's great but some people you know get scared of new or crazy especially in, in a setting or or, or not yeah, no, I mean, I think it was, you know, it, uh, it, any any project, um, you know, in particular on a university campus has a lot of stakeholders that, you know, we need to work with and, and work through. And, you know, our work is always sort of driven by, you know, the context and, and the program and, you know, making sure that, uh, and the climate and making sure that all of those things are in dialogue with with each other. And um, I think it's, it, was a, it was a very well-received building. Awesome. Um, last one I'm going to bring up, unless you want to talk about any other ones, is this building. Can Does this one ring a bell? Yes, that's the Health Sciences Innovation Building for University of Arizona. Yeah, so this one, this is another uh, medical school uh, or, or health sciences building for University of Arizona. This was it before or after the after. other? Okay, and is, is yeah, this copper this too? This is not copper. This is terracotta panels. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So this one came after, um, and this is on the main University of Arizona Tucson campus. Um, so still, you know, still Arizona, still desert, uh, you know, still kind of similar, con uh, you know, climatic context, um, uh, but, uh, you know, a much more mature campus. Uh, you know, that has been, that has been around uh, for a long time. Um, so really, you know, kind of, you, you can see some of the existing buildings um, on either side. Uh, and this, this um, also took its cues from the, the Arizona um, nature. And a, a lot of, I think, 
you know, why one looks to uh, nature in Arizona is because it gives really good clues as to, you know, how habitats survive in, you know, in the heat. And so this was really based on the saguaro cactus. And, um, and the panels are, um, you know, are kind of formed such that they have a, a self-shading aspect to them. Um, and then using, using computational design, you know, sort of worked through, you know, the placement of those with the glass and, you know, looking for optimum shading opportunities. Um, that's a good one to show how the building was kind of um, divided. There's a uh, there's a porch, which is what's what's encapsulated with the with the um, terracotta, and that really houses you know a lot of the circulation, um, very sort of light. Um, and then there's the there's the kind of workhorse um, portion of the building as well. This is a pretty cool space. That's a like a simulation deck that was based on um, theater, black, black box theater. And this is mm. where um, you can see they have, you know, sort of um, workspaces surrounding. And then within this space, they can simulate any number of, um, you know, sort of medical situations. Oh, um, so you're at a house. Here's the house in, on that screen so that you can have the background image and noise. Yeah, or it could be, you know, you've come upon a, um, you know, an accident, right? And, yeah, uh, flashing you know, lights. and Yes, and so then, you know, because they're training doctors and nurses, and, you know, so this becomes, you know, a real simulation, yeah. um, you know, which is where medical education has gone. You can see these are, these are mannequins that simulate any number of, um, of health issues, and that's uh, how where students will start um, their education is working with these really high fidelity mannequins, um, and then that transitions into working, you know, with patients. That's awesome. That makes a lot of sense um, because I mean, you could know everything to do, but I've learned this in a bunch of different scenarios. Then you're taking and putting it in a different context, and your brain is thinking about that other context and loses focus on everything that you knew before because you're just distracted by the new context and situation. Um, the question circling back a little bit, how are you thinking about growth um, and, and planning for it? Meaning, let's say, you know, are you actively trying to, are you reacting? Meaning, Hey, we're getting these projects. We know these clients. There's, we have a great bunch of relationships. And by reacting, mean um, projecting. Oh, I think they're going to grow, so we're going to keep in line with them. Or are you saying we want to go after this new sector, this new client? And then, like, how much resources are you dedicating towards towards that? If if you're doing some of the second option, yeah, it's probably a little of both, Alex. I mean, um, you know, we. We want to grow, not for growth's sake, right? But we want to grow to create um, opportunities, both for us to, you know, continue to work for, you know, great clients and, you know, the uh, many clients, University of Arizona example, you know, we want to be able to continue to do great work for them. You know, we want to work for new clients. You know, we want to, we want to have the, the capabilities to do that. We also want to, grow to create opportunities for those within the firm. 
um, you know, to create leadership opportunities. So I think, you know, growth is, is important to being able, you know, to achieve what we want to achieve. Um, but, you know, we're pretty cautious in terms of, you know, there's not a lot of um, let's grow and then, and then see if the work comes, right? So it's, you know, it's kind of in lockstep with, you know, what do we see coming? What are we pursuing? You know, um, where do we want to go there? You know, there's always some aspect of strategic hires, like you mentioned, you know, uh, you know, where, you know, we, we really wanted to, you know, grow and focus on in, on our interiors practice, um, you know, which was really strong, but, you know, that was an opportunity that recently, you know, we've, um, we've made an effort in, you know, some, some strategic hires to, um, to continue to grow that aspect. So, you know, it's, it's looking forward, it's creating opportunities, um, but also knowing like, what are we really good at? And, you know, how do we continue to, you know, stay true to those core values? How, do you have any advice for someone that's trying to reach out um, and, and grow their clientele? Um, something that you found successful or unsuccessful? Any kind of advice for people that are trying to do that? I think what we've always tried to do is to, um, to look for clients who value what we do. Right. Um, and to be really targeted and specific about, um, you know, making those connections and recognizing that um, it's probably not going to happen on the first try and it's probably not going to happen on the second try. Right. But, you know, just kind of um, creating the relationships and again, looking for an alignment of values, you know, different different firms do things really well. And so, you know, I think it's understanding what you do well, and then finding a client who's going to value what you do well. Um, I think those are, those are the best, you know, those seem to be the, the, that that seems to be a very good recipe for success. Absolutely. That, that was great. Um, As we're wrapping it up, anything you want to, uh, that we missed that you wanted to bring up or talk about? We did a pretty good job. Um, Yay you for know, us. I think it's. I think so too. <laughs> You're good at this. Um, it's been fun. I've I've enjoyed this Monday morning. Um, you know, I think an an area that um, we are working really hard at, and that I believe architecture is working really hard at, is um, is diversity and inclusion. Um, and we talked a little bit about you know kind of gender equity, but I think really you know, really pushing um, on, um, on equity and diversity, you know, in all areas of practice is really important. Um, something that we are, you know, kind of actively um, working on at CO, um, you know, both from, you know, how can we, you know, we, we have a JEDI group, um, you know, a very active JEDI group, um, they have been very action oriented, you know, have developed a kind of series of initiatives and, um, and, you know, I think just, you know, just sort of plugging along and and trying to make an impact. And, um, you know, we, we have a, uh, a high school discovery program that we, uh, that we started uh, through uh, um, an all girls high school here in Los Angeles, but have expanded 
um, you know, just bringing in some high school students uh, to expose them to architecture, people who, you know, who maybe would not be exposed to architecture. Um, you know, you and I probably had people who knew architects and so, you know, told us that architecture would be a good profession. Um, you know, there's plenty of people who don't have that in there, you know, who would probably be really good architects, but don't have that in their, um, you know, in their sphere of influence. So, you know, I think those are some of the things that we're, we're really pushing on. I think it's important in architecture. And, you know, I hope that we will continue to see um, progress in, in that area in, in the profession. Yep. I, and I, I think we are, I think we're on a good track. I think that there are those areas that are, uh, that are underrepresented. And I think the main thing that I feel bad about is just, there's so much talent everywhere. And if you don't reach out and get that talent, you're, you're not doing the world a service, you know, because you're, you're leaving that, that talent on, on the sidelines. Um, so because, you know, talent is distributed everywhere. Um, and then it's distributed everywhere. So why not go in and get it and, and see, you see someone drawing something, tell them, Hey, you could be an architect yeah. <laughs> and then maybe they'll love you for it. Maybe they'll hate you for it, but you did your job. <laughs> Thank you, Jenna. It was great. Uh, any social media you want let let people know to go to your firm's website. Um, just any of those shout outs to go ahead and do it and we'll wrap it up. Yeah, um, this is where you're going to. So I know our website, of course, <laughs> is um, www.coarctex.com. So that one's pretty easy. Um, I think our hashtag is coarctexla. Um, if you Google co-architects, it will come up. It, you'd be, you wouldn't be surprised at how many people don't even know their own Instagram, don't even know their own, you know, because it's like you just log in and you do it and you're like, wait, what am I called? Um, so <laughs> co-architects is medium enough that it shows up when you search for it because I did and it came up. So thank you, Jenna. Uh, thank you for all of our listeners and we will see you on Friday. <laughs>